On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we are talking with Caitlin Place, who is a secondary school AT, also an EMT. We cover a lot of different things from there and how that relationship is so important and how her credentialing as an EMT helped her set up some new guidelines to ultimately positively impact the care of local high school athletes. Now, she is the first to say that you don't necessarily have to be an EMT in order to make these things happen, and there's a lot of conversation about that within this episode, uh, especially within that relationship. But we also talk about where she works. There's multiple health systems, people going many different areas for their care, and how she has worked to manage all of that and continue to have really great care plus great collaboration and different ways to go about approaching all of that. So lots of good takeaways, not just for the secondary setting, but for anywhere where you're going to have to work with other professionals. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Please check them out for all your sports medicine needs. They got pretty much everything you're looking for. New things coming out here soon with new ankle braces and also their Revive pneumatic compression, which we will talk about more. We've got an episode coming up with them on that as well, just to talk about the details of all of that. But without further ado, please enjoy this episode. Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. We are on with Caitlin Place, who um, had been watching a bunch on Twitter, just seeing different um, things, advocating for the profession. Uh, I'm going to say the name wrong, so I'm not going to say it, but endorsing sunflower seeds uh, has been a big one uh, that kind of took off. So that's been pretty cool to see the company come back um, and really try and understand athletic training. So kudos there. But uh, we're going to be talking today after I turn it over to her on interprofessional collaboration and really kind of multifaceted, but really within the secondary setting, um, just as we were coming up with topics for this, you, she brought up a ton of really interesting, you know, scenarios where you have different people going outside of different areas or people that you don't always work with and how to just make those be the most efficient but before we get into all that I just want to turn it over to Caitlin to kind of talk about how she's gotten to where she is today so cool um thanks Joel um so like you said I'm I'm Caitlin um I uh never expected to kind of get as quote-unquote big as I have on Twitter um but advocating for the profession is something I'm very passionate about um, which is also kind of what led me to um, obtain my EMT certification. Um, so I am dual credentialed as an athletic trainer and as a nationally registered EMT. Um, and uh, it's, it's definitely been eye-opening in a really good way um, with how the two professions can work together. And of course, as other professions can work with us as athletic trainers and kind of what that looks like. Um, I have some experience with that too. Um, but my passion is definitely athletic training and EMS. Um, so quick background, I'm in Minnesota. So sorry if I have long O's, um, can't help it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you can put captions on, um, 
so I, I actually am from Minnesota, born and raised. Um, I'm back in Minnesota, have been since college. Um, I went to the University of Northern Iowa, graduated in 2016. Um, so I'm only in my seventh year in the profession. I'm still kind of a, a baby, but I guess on the back half of young professional, which is really weird to think about. Um, time really does fly. They're not kidding. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's just a little bit about me. Um, shout out to Chinook Seeds. Uh, they're the best. And I still feel very lucky that they, they chose little me to, to help them out. Um, so that's really cool. So um, it's been really fun to kind of seeing the different brands like Dick's and Chinook and, and other brands like, Hey, athletic trainers are important. Oh, well, gee, thanks. <laughs> right. Right. So where, where do you want to start? I mean, what, what do you want to, what do you want to know? So I think, you know, interprofessional collaboration is obviously a big topic and we could go down rabbit hole after rabbit hole about how different things work with, you know, different professions and how that's going in some places versus others, but we'll save that maybe for another day. But just in your experience, you know, working at high school, and then if you could clarify, are you employed through the height, through the school district or are you through outreach? Um, so I am employed by a larger health system. Um, okay. And then they have a contract with the high school to supply my services. Perfect. And so that kind of sets a little bit more of a stage. So obviously you have kind of have team physicians that you know, work closer with and obviously other professionals, but in the world that is insurance, obviously that isn't always how it works out that everybody can go to where things are easy, which can complicate things. So maybe just kind of laying the groundwork first of what are some best practices that you found in creating those interprofessional collaborations, both kind of within your health system, you still need to have good relationships there, but also outside of it? Um, I think it all starts with communication. I mean, it's easy because I'm, I'm part of this health system. Mm -hmm. um, so it's very easy for me to communicate with the different providers, the doctors, the, the nurse practitioners, the PAs, um, and even the nurses, it's very easy for me to reach out for any information they might need, any information I need. Um, at my last job, I actually worked at um, a physician-owned orthopedic practice um, where we actually had, I think it was like 21 different surgeons of different specialties. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Anytime one of the athletes needed something, um, or if I had a question, I would just pop over from the physical therapy side um, where I was clinic-based and I would just pop over and find, you know, Dr. So-and-so and ask what I needed. Um, so having those close professional relationships, especially with the physicians, the surgeons, um, that's huge, especially, I mean, everybody that's an athletic trainer knows the pushback that we get when we're trying to make those decisions for the sake of the athlete's health and safety um, so having, having those good relationships means you have more of that support in your corner from people who are quote unquote higher up, um, especially the physicians and the surgeons. Um, now the health system I'm, I'm at, we're much more rural. Um, so I actually do not do any hours up at the hospital, um, up in the clinic. I don't do any of that. I am entirely school-based. Um, so making sure you have access to the EMR in the, in all the right ways. So I can communicate with the physicians that way. Um, 
because even even though I'm I'm there, sometimes phone is hard to get a hold of somebody and sure. get answers to questions in kind of a timely manner. Um, because I mean, like anywhere, our our health system is is short on staff, and um, so having access to that EMR is huge too, and helps add to that relationship. Um, it's it's definitely been beneficial to um, my health system locally has a wonderful physical therapist. Um, I absolutely adore her. We've collaborated on athletes. Um, part, one of, one of the roadblocks to being rural healthcare, um, and I know other rural athletic trainers will feel this, is um, people don't always wanna go in and be seen, um, which I mean, fine, but there are times where, I mean, we all know that would make our job 10 times easier. Um, so having that good relationship, especially from a distance. Um, so like I said, I'm not up there every day, but I can still send her a message. I can still call her and be like, hey, I have this kid. Parents don't want to bring them. This is what I'm doing. This is what's going on. And almost kind of do like a drive-by consult. Um, sure. Like you see doctors um, of different specialties do sometimes. Um, now, obviously it would be better to get them up and seen formally, but I mean, we have to work within the confines of what our patients can do and are willing to do. And so sometimes we have to get creative. I mean, we're all athletic trainers, we know that. Um, but she has been wonderful. I, with her and then at my last job, I had so many, so many physical therapists, coworkers um, that, I mean, I worked really closely with, we, I would work with their patients. Um, I, I've always had a really good experience working with other, um, like PTs, ATs, PTAs. So especially things where physical therapists might be getting a little salty about, um, our state licensures and what our scopes allow us to do. I have never experienced that. So I don't understand where that saltiness comes from. Every PT I've worked with, I've been very lucky in this sense. For sure. Um, every physical therapist I've worked with has understood the scope and the value that athletic trainers bring to the table. Um, so it makes me very sad to see kind of that divisiveness um, between the two professions at times, because really when, when the two work together, holy cow, the quality of care that our patients receive skyrockets. Absolutely. Um, at least that's been my experience. Like I said, I've been very, very, very lucky that every physical therapist I've worked with has been amazing. Um, my boss is a physical therapist and he is amazing. I mean, he totally gets what we do. Um, he said he doesn't totally understand. He's never been in our shoes, but he knows the value of us. Um, and he's very supportive. So I, I don't understand. <laughs> I want to fix it for everybody um, because everyone should should have that relationship that I've been lucky enough to have. Um, but it's not always possible. Um, it, one of the other interesting things that I'll touch on quick is, I, well, maybe not quick. Um, you know, I, I work for a large health system and down in our little corner of the world, we have multiple health systems. Um, and so we can't, we can't always, obviously we can't control where patients go. We can suggest, we can recommend. 
Um, but in my little corner where there's three health systems and everybody, every athlete, every patient, they all go somewhere different. Um, it's really hard sometimes to keep up on the injuries, the clearances, um, kind of the protocols, especially with post-surgical protocols. Um, it's super important to have those relationships. Um, because obviously if they go to my health system, I have access to their EMR. Right. Um, but if they don't go, if they go to one of three other health systems, um, I'm kind of lost if I, if I don't have those lines of communication open and I am a huge fan of communication. Um, one of my kind of go-to sayings, my mom told me this feels like a thousand years ago. Um, but I, I think it almost daily, you're only as good as the communication you're given. So if you don't have all the information, you can't act on all the information, mm-hmm. that kind of idea. Um, and I tell you that saying has kept me sane in many situations. Um, but it, that's kind of where it comes in, comes into play the importance of developing those relationships and establishing those communications, especially with multiple health systems. Um, so we have kind of a, another orthopedic system in our area that a lot of my athletes go to. Um, and one of the things that I've done is I've connected with, um, some of their physical therapists, some of their athletic trainers, um, cause they are almost two hours away. Um, okay. and so those kids are not going to be going you know, two, three times a week for, for physical therapy. Um, so what we've ended up doing is collaborating and I will get from their physical therapist or their athletic trainer in that clinic, they will send me their protocol and I'll see them one time a week and they'll see them one time a week, or maybe I see them twice to supplement (laughs) their visits there, even though we're completely different health systems, because ultimately that doesn't matter. The the recovery, the health, the safety, the, the progress of the athlete is what matters. Um, so something like that, it's, it's not worth getting territorial about, um, because ultimately the patient is going to suffer. And so it's one of those where you establish a good rapport, um, and you work together for the sake of the athlete. And we've had really good outcomes, um, with the patients that we have kind of shared in that sense. Um, which is ideal. I mean, that's, that's what we should always want. Um, at my last job where I was a little more Metro, um, of course there's, there's doctors and clinics everywhere when you're a little more Metro. Um, and we had one, one physician, he was not part of our practice. He was part of a different practice and he gave me his personal cell phone number, um, because he, he worked a lot with concussions. Um, and I think he was also part of like a chiropractic practice, like a physician and chiropractor kind of teamed up to make their own little clinic. Um, yeah, I've, I've not seen that kind of collaboration before I've seen PT and Cairo, um, but not physician and Cairo. And it actually proved really beneficial for this particular concussion case. Um, we were struggling to get through return to play. We had recurrent headaches. So um, I finally said, hey, you know what? I know this doctor. Um, go see him. 
go see their chiropractor, get adjusted. Cause at this point we're like two months out from time of injury. This was the longest recovery that I had seen at that point. And I was like, we have to try something different. And they went, they got adjusted by the chiropractor, saw the physician. Um, the physician and I collaborated and within a week after that, we were able to finish return to play. It was awesome. Um, and this guy was not part of our health system, but mm-hmm. I mean, you make that meaningful connection and ultimately your patient is going to benefit. Um, so yeah, it, as much as we like to be territorial, um, and maybe that's the wrong word. Maybe it's like, um, I don't know, maybe it's like school pride. We, we want our, <laughs> our school, we want our sure. health system to kind of be the top dog. And sometimes that's just not going to happen. Um, and we have to be flexible. I mean, as athletic trainers, we're flexible with rehabs. We're flexible with schedule changes, um, kind of everything across the board. So we have to be flexible with this too. Um, but it, it all comes down to that good communication and having that good rapport with other clinicians who are not part of your health system. Um, so one thing that I've done too is in our area, we have a ton of chiropractors. Um, so what'll happen is they'll go see the chiropractor and maybe then they come to see me. I've seen that a lot. Um, or they'll see me see what I say, and then they'll go see their chiropractor and come back. You know, it's any combination. Um, I see it here. That's one of the joys of rural medicine. Um, but one of the things I'll, I'll tell my kids is, you know, okay, what did your chiropractor say? What treatments are they doing for you? So we don't, we don't double up. Um, but we can treat in tandem. Um, so maybe you're already getting ultrasound and e-stim at the chiropractor. Then I, I'm not going to waste both of our time to do that here at the high school too, unless sure. you're going a long time between chiropractor visits, you know, did they give you corrective exercises? Okay. They didn't, um, or, oh, they did. What exercises did they give you? So I don't give you the same ones. Right. Um, so I try to tandem treat whenever possible. Um, because the only time that, um, that we kind of run into any roadblocks is I can't accept any clearance notes. Um, but I can accept kind of everything else like, Hey, they were seen in my clinic or, Hey, this is the tape job that I think would benefit them. Okay, cool. I'll try it. Like I, there's no reason to get kind of uppity, you know? Um, cause ultimately we're, we're all there for the patient. That's right. what it comes down to. Um, <laughs> And if we're doing, if, if we're doing our job, well, the patient always comes first. Um, now, obviously we can spend all day talking about, okay, well, evidence-based practice says this or whatnot, but I'm also a fan of anecdotal evidence for things. So if, if ultrasound feels like it helps do it, (laughs) if, if going to your chiropractor and getting adjusted helps do it. Um, I'm, I'm not going to get too worked up about stuff like that. I try to stay pretty chill. So yeah, it's um, a balance on that kind of evidence-based continuum slash, uh, it was Kim Barber Fawcett said it kind of the evidence-based tripod, you know, where you've got the evidence, you've got the experience slash expertise of the practitioner and then the patient beliefs. And it, you've got to figure out how that all pieces together to ultimately get what you're saying. Absolutely. And that's why, like, if, 
if a kid comes back and tells me that they saw somebody else who did XYZ, and I know there's not a whole lot of evidence for XYZ, but if the kid said they feel better, I'm not going to argue with it. I'm, I'm just not. It, it doesn't matter <laughs> what I think at that point. If the patient is saying it's helping, then okay, let's keep going then. Um, so it's, it's definitely been interesting to going from more of a metro area. Um, I mean, as a student, we worked very closely with our team physician um, at UNI. Um, we had our team physician like on the sideline for football games. Um, so it was really cool to kind of see him in action. I actually saw him for one of my own injuries as a college student because I trusted him. Um, and it's been really interesting because that was kind of the only interaction we had as a student with other healthcare professionals. Um, we did have to do like a shadowing rotation with, um, like I went to the student health center or some of my classmates went to the local trauma center. I would have really loved that one. <laughs> I was really <laughs> jealous. Um, I was seeing lice and infected piercings and they're seeing like level one trauma stuff. But we can't all be lucky, I guess. Um, but then to go to a rural setting where I had physicians and surgeons at my fingertips to now more of a rural setting where the closest surgeon or even surgery center is an hour and a half either way, wherever you go. I mean, we are out in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's, it's definitely been eye-opening and has really kind of reinforced for me the importance of being flexible and being willing to work with these other professions um, in order to provide the best possible care. We might be limited on what we can do here in our little tiny corner of the world, um, but it doesn't mean things are impossible. Um, so the, the relationships that I have, especially with some of the, the physicians, um, that are an hour and a half away. I mean, I've got personal cell phone numbers for um, like two different surgeons and uh, my neuropsych that I send concussions to. Um, it's It's been awesome. Um, so you've got to find ways to make those connections. Um, it's, I mean, it, it's not impossible. A little Google search, you call, you call the physical therapy department and be like, hey, I need to talk about a mutual patient. And hopefully you get one that's like, okay, and not, well, you're not on the HIPAA release because <laughs> I've had that happen too. Um, so, I mean, yeah, find ways to make those connections, find ways to build that rapport um, because ultimately your patients are gonna benefit. And that's, that's just talking more from like the, the clinician, PT, physician side of things. Um, so now we're kind of getting into my, my personal passion, um, which is the blending of athletic training and EMS. Um, so as an EMT, um, I mean, I've always wanted to be one when I lived more Metro, uh, they only had paramedic service. So there was no way it was like, Nope, I I'm working full-time. There's no way I can do medic school. Um, I'll just put that on the back burner. Um, so finally moving back here, uh, where I know, I knew a bunch of the guys on the, the ambulance crew and they kept bugging me, Caitlin, when are you going to join us? When are you going to get your EMT? We, we could use you on the truck. Like, 
that kind of thing. Cause they all knew athletic training. Um, mm-hmm. and finally I was like, okay, fine. I'll do it. Twist my arm a little bit. Um, and it's been awesome. I love being an EMT. Um, I'll admit there are some days where I love it a little bit more than athletic training. Um, the adrenaline load is a lot higher, a lot more frequently. Um, but I mean, I don't have to plan any rehabs. I don't have to worry about follow-ups. I just have to keep my patient alive and get them where they're going. Um, so it's in a weird sense. I know my husband doesn't understand this. Um, but I've said it's, it's a break from AT for me. Um, and I'm, I'm still wearing my work shirt. I was actually on call overnight last night. So this is fitting. (laughs) Gotcha. Um, but one of the things when I was up in the Metro area, fresh out of school, like first fall football season as a secondary school athletic trainer, um, I was covering, I think it was a freshman football game. And those always scare me because as freshmen, like they've, probably played football for a while, but they're not big and strong enough to make the hard hits cleanly. Um, which is kind of both a blessing and a curse. I mean, they can't hit quite as hard, but they can't hit quite as cleanly either. And so you end up seeing kind of more ugly injuries. Um, at least I did at that school, I had tip fib fractures and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, but I, I distinctly remember, I think it was the very first time that I had to call EMS. One of my, one of my young guys got hit, felt a pop in his neck. He was tender along C-spine. Um, he had full movement, full feeling, everything in his extremities. But I mean, he said the buzzwords <laughs> yeah. and, um, so I'm holding C-spine and, um, we, we call EMS and they get there. And, um, it was, it was frightening. I'm going to, I'm going to say that as a brand new AT, you know, I'm, I'm fresh out of school. Our, our spine boarding practices are fresh in my mind and I'm thinking it's going to go a very particular way. And what I did not account for was the paramedics looked at me like I, like I had four heads when I started giving report. Um, I think they thought, I was a high schooler because I look young, um, blessing it a curse. <laughs> um, but they looked at me like I had four heads and it was kind of one of those where like, as soon as we got, there was something wrong with the face mask. Like I, I couldn't get it off. Um, once one of them took over C-spine And so we ended up taking off the entire helmet and now I'm prepared to take off the shoulder pads too. Cause I'm, you know, I follow the NADA all or nothing equipment removal approach. Um, that didn't happen. Uh, they, they took the helmet off and right away his head, you know, it's exactly what they, they talked to us about. If you take the helmet off and leave the shoulder pads on the head's going to fall backwards. That's exactly what happened. And then they were scrambling to like put towels underneath to prop Uh it up. And at that point, I, they've taken over care. So my hands were off. And of course I'm new, I'm literally fresh out of college. So I didn't have a backbone yet (laughs) to be like, um, excuse me, hold on a minute. Um, now I absolutely do. Um, but it, it, it really was unsettling, um, watching, 
how they handled the athlete. And I, I know now that like they have their own protocols and, and whatnot, but it was a large enough system where I talked to my boss about it the next day. Um, and I said, Hey, like, is there any way we can set up a meeting with this ambulance service to kind of go over equipment removal and our processes and what their protocols all are, are so we can see how we can work together because this was alarming. And he told me he'd been trying to set up a meeting for years mm. and it wasn't happening. And that was, that was crushing. I was so devastated. Um, but it also helped me realize, okay, if I have to call for a football injury, I'm going to do X, Y, Z in advance so that when EMS gets there, I give report, I transferred care, and I know the kid is going to be taken care of the way that I want him to be, um, or her, sorry. Um, so it, that was fast, fast forward. I get back down here. Um, and I get my EMT, I joined the ambulance service. Um, even before I was working on my EMT, I was contacted by our local ambulance service and said, hey, do you want to put on our August training for us? And we can go over um, you know, your processes, your um, football equipment removal, you can train us on that. And I said, absolutely, holy cow, yes. A thousand times, yes, let's schedule it. And so I trained them that August and, um, we decided as a team, you know, are we going to do like a six person lift? Um, cause of course, you know, Nata says that that 45 degree torso incline is okay. Um, but they were not comfortable with that, with their protocols. So I said, okay, we don't have to do that. What do your protocols say? Like, what's, what's the best way that we can blend these practices Cause they were on board with the all or nothing equipment approach. Uh -huh. um, it was just a matter of figuring out kind of the best way to do it. And so we, we had pure collaboration. We tried a couple different ways and until we decided on which one we liked better, which one was more efficient, had less patient movement. Um, and we decided as a team, okay, this is what we're going to do. Um, Cause I'm one of those lucky athletic trainers where our town is small enough that we can have a dedicated ambulance for football standby. Um, that's not the case everywhere. So I'm, I'm very, very, sure. very fortunate. Um, and that's also one of the reasons why I am so passionate about the EMSAT collaboration, because if they're right there, we might not have time to get all the equipment off before they come. They might actually be helping us. Um, and so every year since I've put on this, this equipment training, um, especially as our, our crew has grown, we've lost some members, we've gained some members. Um, so kind of every year I have a new, a new victim that gets to put on my, my janky football equipment for training. There you go. Um, I don't make the old guys do it anymore. Um, I did the first year and it was funny as heck. Um, <laughs> but no, it's been awesome. Um, now being an EMT myself and being familiarized with their protocols, because now they are my protocols when I'm wearing that hat, I know exactly what, what the EMS criteria is for, for spine boarding, um, or, you know, cervical precautions. And I know what my standards are as an athletic trainer too. And, and that's just talking spine boarding. 
Um, one of the biggest benefits that I have been able to accomplish, and I'm actually, I'm kind of a nerd, um, but I'm super proud of this is we have cold tubs for, for football, obviously, um, when we start in August and things are hot, um, heat stroke is a huge concern of mine because I have had to cold tub athletes before. And it's, I mean, I, I know, I know the benefits of it. You guys all know the benefits of it. Um, especially the cool first transport second. So when I became an EMT and I'm reading through our, our medical direction protocols for heat illnesses and heat stroke, um, our protocol on the ambulance is we put ice packs on all the major pulse points. Um, and we, we transport them because we are only BLS. We are not ALS. We can't start IVs or anything like that. Um, so the goal is basically get them to the hospital as fast as we can. Now, as an athletic trainer, um, that, I don't want to say it rubbed me wrong, but it definitely kind of did. Um, because I know obviously that cooling first, that cold water immersion is best practice. Um, so I thought, okay, how can we do this? Because if I have to call and my, my crewmates are coming to pick up my athlete, but I'm there as an athletic trainer, not as an EMT. How am I going to enforce my standard when I know what their standards are? And so I actually, um, I met with my athletic director, or sorry, um, ambulance director, who is wonderful. And he, he actually um, was like roommates with an athletic trainer. Like he gets what we do. He's seen a little more behind the curtain than a lot of people have. And so when I called him and I said, Hey, why don't you come up to the field and watch me prep this tub? Because I want to talk about this. And so he came up and I talked about, um, you know, the Corey Stringer Institute guidelines. Um, they're basically, you know, what the tub setup is like, what the goal is. I do not have a data therm. Um, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm trying to get one, um, but it's, it's a battle. <laughs> um, but I'm trying, but I said, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't have one, but if we do, don't worry, I will take care of that because I know it's not in the scope of the EMTs, um, but it is in my scope of athletic training. And he laughed because of course, data therms. Um, and was like, yeah, good luck with that. Um, but I said, don't worry. Um, you know, this, this is what my standard is, even without the data therm, we're going to cool first for, you know, 15 minutes, there's always going to be ice on top of the water. Um, and I showed him the literature that says it is the gold standard. Um, and I said, you know, I get our protocols on the ambulance. I know what our consortium is trying to do. However, if I call you, I'm in my EMT capacity or I'm in my athletic training capacity. So this is, this is my standard of practice. This is what I will be doing. And I said, I will not let you take my athlete until after that 15 minutes is up, even though the hospital is literally, you can see it from our football field. Sure. Um, it is right up the hill. It's right there. Um, I, but I said, I, I will not let you take them just so the air is clear right now, we are going to cool first and transport second. And after looking at the literature um, and like the Corey Stringer Institute guidelines, um, he was totally on board. 
He didn't fight me on it at all. He said the only the only hang up would be if they start to deteriorate, um, if they start to go, you know, say cardiac arrest, then we're going to switch gears to the EMT protocols. And I said, absolutely. Like, I'm not going to fight you on that because that's, right. a, that's what we need to do. If they're deteriorating, they're getting out of the tub and we're doing CPR, whatever we need to do. I said, don't worry that protocol code switch or that, that hat switch that I would have to do, it will not be hard. Um, because at that point, like, Yes, I am with you. Um, so we came to kind of that verbal agreement on site right there. And then just to be safe, he did run it by our medical direction consortium and explain that one of one of his members is an athletic trainer. This is her standard of care for heat stroke. Um, this is what we would like to do for our local athletes. And medical direction said, boom, let's do it. Um, so that has been huge. Um, I think it's still the only exception to our EMT heat stroke protocol, um, but it's a step in the right direction, um, yeah. especially for my athletes. Um, and then of course we, we go through the safety day at football where God bless my head coach. He actually brings swim trunks and we put them in the cold tub um, so that nice. the kids can see what it looks like nice. um, and what their, what their job is, especially if I'm not there. Um, unfortunately I'm only at this high school three days a week. We're trying to get me there full time, but we are a small cog in the wheel of our right. giant health system. Um, so they, they can't rely on me being there every day. And so I go through this, this safety day with them. And, um, this last time, this is where the collaboration goes kind of beyond, um, kind of beyond the basic medical collaboration you would think of. Uh, one of my coaches is a local 911 dispatcher. So I work with him in two senses. Um, and when we were lining up the safety day at the beginning of the season um, to practice the EAP and do the cold water immersion, um, I brought out a CPR training dummy. And we actually, he had set up in advance that when we called 911, because we actually did, I had the kids do it because everybody knows the first time you have to call, it's terrifying. Um, so I actually had the kids who are on the 911 team, I actually had them call um, so that the first time they have to do it for real, they've done it before. Um, and it's way less scary. They, they know what to expect. They know what information is being asked of them. And um, so we called and, and my coach had actually set up with his dispatch coworker that, hey, when we call, transfer us to TPR. Um, so the kids, because I have two lifeguards on the team, they're on the CPR team. Um, and then a third kid on the CPR team who is um, not certified, but is kind of like the backup. Mm -hmm. And this way, because I mean, any, any John Doe who calls 911 and is transferred to TPR is going to be walked through this. So you don't, you don't have to be certified in order to give effective CPR. Obviously it helps, but this was where like being transferred to that TPR in real time, I could see what it was like. Um, and I could hear exactly how they coached the athlete through um, doing CPR on this dummy. Um, and it was awesome. It was so awesome. And that, I mean, that collaboration goes, you can make it go any way you want. Um, 
one of the things that I'm trying to do, not quite as an athletic trainer, I guess, more in my EMT capacity is with COVID, the high school I'm at um, kind of put a pause on doing a mock crash. They used to do one every year, um, kind of around prom time. And then COVID hit and they, they didn't do it for a while. Um, with our new ambulance director, he wants to do a mock crash with the school and do it in a way that it covers the law enforcement training requirements, the EMT training requirements, the fire training requirements, the hospital training requirements. Um, so we can all kind of do this joint training drill um, and then have it benefits, benefit the students too. And so where I come in is as the athletic trainer, I'm at the high school, I'm kind of the, the liaison, I guess. Um, so I've been helping kind of coordinate with the principal um, from the EMT side, even though she knows me as being an athletic trainer, um, to try to set this up. Like we want to get it so that we have a helicopter come and land at the scene. Like it's, we want to make it this big thing. Um, and that wouldn't really, I mean, it would still be possible. I mean, totally, but having kind of me with my, my two hats in the middle, uh -huh. I'm kind of helping simplify and smooth over the process and connect people who otherwise would maybe have a difficult time connecting. Um, so that's been really cool. It's been really, really cool. Um, if anything, like it has made me much more passionate about the um, relationship between athletic trainers and EMS crews. Um, I highly, highly, highly recommend, especially if you are in a small town with a smaller service where it will be easier to get a meeting, um, set a meeting with your local EMS crews. Um, you don't have to be an EMT to do that. Um, I mean, it helps if you want to know both sides of the protocols, but I mean, set up a meeting, meet with them, bring your literature, say, hey, you know, for, for cold water immersion, this is what I do. What are your guys' protocol? And develop a plan. For spine boarding, a lot of places are getting away from doing the rigid spine boards and the sea collars. Now, my, my EMS service, um, we have not gotten away from that yet, but we know it's coming. Um, right now, our medical direction still has us spine boarding people um, if they meet certain requirements. Um, so, I mean familiarize yourself with their protocols. If they are not spine boarding, find out what their criteria are, um, or just, you know, find out the background information on their protocol decision so that when you do have to call them and it is this situation, you are not blindsided. Like I was my very first year <laughs> as an athletic trainer. Um, you're only as good as the information you're given, but you don't have to be given all of it. You can go out and seek it and do that through those meetings, through those relationships, find out what you need to know so that when the time comes, you work together seamlessly as the medical team that, that we end up being so that your patient gets the best care. Um, so that's my biggest piece of advice for sure is set up that meeting. It might be daunting. It might be intimidating, especially if you're dealing with a service that doesn't really know about athletic trainers. I mean, there's yeah. plenty of those out there too. Um, I was very lucky that, I mean, my crew knew me from before. Um, it's not always like that. Um, 
So don't feel bad if you're not the Cinderella story like I am. <laughs> I've been very lucky. Um, but take that initiative, um, set those meetings, learn those protocols, see if you can get your hands on copies. Um, it, it'll be helpful just to know that information, even if even if you fulfill your protocol before you transfer care, because their protocol is completely different, just knowing what to expect can kind of pre prevent a lot of resentment between the two specialties. Um, and that, that goes a long way, a long way, especially in an emergency when tensions are high already. Um, you know, we've all called EMS, um, God bless you if you haven't yet. Um, so we know, especially at an event, there's spectators and coaches who are freaking out. They've never had to do this before. Just knowing what to expect, even if your protocols don't align um, or you can't find a happy middle ground between the two, it goes a long way. Um, I'll finish with kind of a funny story. Um, one of the EMTs I work with, I've known her since I was itty bitty. Like when she was a senior cheerleader, I was in little girl cheerleading. Um, and we work together on the ambulance crew. Now our, our kids are friends. Um, it's awesome. And at this last football training that we were doing, um, I've established myself in the crew. Now they know me it's, it's been awesome, but we're sitting there. I finished my training. Um, and we're just sitting there chatting and I think it was two years ago. I think it was my second year here. Um, last? No, it was my first winter here. Um, we had a visiting basketball player go down underneath the hoop. I was in the training room getting some ice um, and a kid comes screaming in, Caitlin, Caitlin, we need you. Somebody's down on the court. So I, I take off, totally forget the ice bag. Um, take off onto the court. Kid is there surrounded by people. Um, by people, I mean like teammates, coaches. Right, right. And there's one, one, one person there who, as soon as I come up, identifies themselves as a physician um, and is giving me report. And that was, that was kind of a cool feeling like, hey, there's no territorial. I'm a doctor, so I'm in charge. It was, hey, I know this is your scene, but I'm here to help. So while you were gone, this is, this is the presentation. This is what's happening. And it was... Um, a dislocated ankle and it was my first one ever it was buck wild um and so the doctor is giving me report at the same time trying to find a dorsal pedal pulse and I said you know do you have one and they hesitated they're like no not yet and I was like okay we need to call EMS um this is we got we got to do this um and so eventually they did find a dorsal pedal pulse. Um, so thank God for that. So we're splinting the kid who is kudos to them. They were not very freaked out. Um, not in shock either, right. uh, but they, they were just kind of chilling. Um, so I give credit to their teammates too, for kind of keeping them focused on them and talking. Um, so it allowed this doctor and I to splint this leg and um actually by by splinting it um it self-reduced so it must not have been out completely um and uh so i'm on the phone with 911 
just giving them some more information. And I said, yep, there's deformity. Um, CMS is intact though. Um, we've, got, we've got the ankle splinted. Um, we'll meet you in such and such parking lot at door number whatever. Um, and so <laughs> my EMT coworker who I've known forever came direct. And so I'm out in the parking lot. I've got the athlete there um, with coaches and parents like supporting whatever. So I'm flagging down the officers who came. I'm flagging down um, the ambulance and um, which, yes, I know usually we send runners to do that. Um, my, my coaches and my, my kids were not in the mental space to take that directive um, at the time. Uh, and I don't blame them. And uh, so I went out, the athlete was with this physician. Um, so I went out, flagged down everybody we needed. And my EMT coworker gets out of the personal vehicle and since she's the first one there, I start giving her report and it's going well. The truck shows up, we get them loaded, get up to the hospital, all that fun stuff. So fast forward now to this last, a month ago when I did this training and she's telling me that the very first time with that call, she said it was so awesome to have somebody give such a clean report that she forgot to listen to the report. <laughs> She was so excited, like, hey, this is awesome. Wait, I need to be paying attention. And hearing that, we had a nice good laugh about it um, because I've, I've had to call a couple times since. Um, and when they show up, you know, I give report. It's that novelty has worn off because they know that I know what I'm doing. Uh -huh. um, but just hearing that was so funny, so funny. Um, cause she is like a top notch EMT. She is wonderful. She knows her stuff. I trust her with my life. Um, so just hearing that I, I just laughed. We had a, we had a good time. Um, but I mean, again, those, those relationships are important. She, she knew who I was, um, even though I wasn't an EMT at the time, she knew who I was, knew what I was capable of. And so she knew that when I give them a prepackaged patient ready to go, they know that all like half their job is, is done essentially. Um, so it's been really cool. So, I mean, anyone who wants to encourage or wants to pursue, um, kind of an EMS background, I say, do it. Um, especially if you're in a small rural area like me, it'll only benefit your athletes. Um, one of the other benefits is when I'm on the sideline and spectators see me and then they, they have to call 911 and I show up to their house at 2 AM. They've seen me before. They know that I will take care of them. Um, or I show up to your house at 2 AM and then you see me on the sideline protecting your kid during their sporting event. They trust me. Um, so that kind of personal inner collaboration, I guess, with myself, um, in the community has been super beneficial too. Um, so yeah, I, anyone who wants to pursue it, I encourage it at least to, I don't know, put that feather in your cap. Um, it's, it's useful. Um, it's been awesome. I can't speak enough to how it has benefited my athletes and will continue to benefit my athletes in this area. Um, I hope to increase that and uh, maybe change some more EMS protocols along the way. <laughs> there you go. 
So we kind of covered the gambit of uh, interprofessional collaboration. Ready to jump to the athletic training chat questions? Heck yeah, let's do it. Where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? Oh boy. Um, that's a good question. And you know, I, I knew you were going to ask. Um, so I've had time to kind of prep my answer and I'm, <laughs> I still don't have a very good answer. Um, I think that's fair. I, uh, I got grandfathered in, um, they made the switch to the entry-level masters kind of right after I graduated. Um, and I, I can see where they, what they were trying to do with that. But I think, um, personally, I think that switch has kind of missed the mark. Um, I don't think it's going to do for the profession, what we want it to do, um, what we need it to do, unless there's some other changes that take place. And I don't know entirely what those changes are. I mean, we can talk all day about salary and um, work-life balance, all that stuff. Um, I know there's been some discussion too about, you know, are we trying to do too much with athletic training? Are we trying to kind of overdevelop the profession? Um, and I, I mean, that, those are all really good points, really good thoughts. Um, we could talk all day on it, but with what I've been seeing lately with the shortage and um, COVID did nobody any favors in the healthcare world. Um, obviously not just the healthcare world, but I mean, COVID really hurt a lot of healthcare professions, us included. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know where it's going to go. Um, I am worried a little bit for where it's going to go. Um, I think some things need to be examined. Some things need to be changed if we want to keep seeing the profession grow, um, not just the need, but be able to, to fill that need um, with working professionals. But I'm, I'm worried if things don't change, we will be a very transient profession. Um, and that scares me. I mean, athletic training is all I've ever wanted to do. And even the thought that someday this profession might not exist, um, it's worrisome. It's definitely worrisome. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't have a good answer. I'm hopeful. I, I try to remain hopeful. Um, but I, like I said, I, I don't have kind of, I don't have the answers. I don't have, you know, what needs to change. I, I don't know entirely. Um, I don't know. I hope it moves in a positive direction, but at this point with where, with the conversations I've seen and the troubles I've seen, and even just through my own recent struggles, um, burnout is, is real and it's more prevalent now than I think it has been in recent years. Um, I know I was ready to hang up the scissors, uh, just a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't know. I hope it goes somewhere positive. I hope it survives. You had mentioned, you know, you've been in the profession, you know, six, seven years now, still relatively new into it. But if you can go back and give yourself some advice as a younger athletic trainer, what would that be? And like, what time frame would you go back to? Oh, gosh. Um, oh, boy. That's a really good question. Um, 
I think I would maybe go back to two time periods. The first being um, my senior year as an athletic training student. Um, and I would say, you know, oh gosh, I would say hang in there. Backbones and thick skin develop with time, um, with time and experience. Um, I mean, I could talk all day about my senior year. Um, but I would just say, you know, it's not always like this. So hang in there. Um, it will be different and you will be in a position where you can determine what you do. Um, decisions you make, it'll be different. Hang in there. Um, and then I would probably fast forward to, I don't know, when I was working at my first job out of school, um, I was there for a couple of years. Um, I think I would also say hang in there. It's not always like this. Um, I did not have a great experience, um, with the high school I was covering at the time. I loved the kids. Um, but it was, it was really hard. It was really stressful. Um, but I would say, you know, keep, keep pouring into yourself and developing as a professional um, and keep pouring into the kids. These kids need somebody to care about them. Um, they know you care. Keep being there for them. Keep showing up. Um, and I guess I would also say, you know, don't get set on one, one dream. I mean, before recording, I mean, we talked about the couple of professional dreams I went through before I kind of settled on where I'm at now, which mm-hmm. ultimately became my dream job. Um, so for the listeners, just quick context. I wanted to be an athletic trainer with the Minnesota twins realized really early on that that was not going to be doable with other life goals. Um, I wanted to work at a kind of world renowned health system. Um, and then realized after having some experience there, mm, I didn't want that either. Um, so now actually I'm covering the high school I graduated from, um, never thought that that would be my dream job, but here we are. Um, I'm very happy with it. Obviously we run into hiccups as athletic trainers, but, um, you know, don't, don't settle on just one dream. Um, it's okay. If that dream changes, if your life goals change after you live some experiences, um, don't beat yourself up over it. Um, you know, put your life goals first and then whatever, whatever job, whatever setting aligns with that, that's what you should pursue. If it's what you're passionate about. Now, if, if you are dead set on being the athletic trainer for the Minnesota twins, you do it. Um, and then I'm tell me about it. Cause I'm going to live vicariously through you. Um, <laughs> but you know, don't, don't beat yourself up if things change. Um, it happens. I mean, we all know things change in this profession. They change overnight. Um, especially AT Twitter. (laughs) So yeah, I would say, I would say that too. Don't get hell bent on, on one thing. Um, especially if it does not align with what you want to, what you want to do with your life outside of work. Um, that's important too. work-life balance, find it. Trust me. I promise. (laughs) Definitely. What has been the most influential resource you found in your career? Oh my gosh, my mentors. 
I don't even have to hesitate and think about it. My mentors, I have a couple mentors from college that, you know, I'm in my seventh year as a practicing professional now, and I still run things by them. Um, I'll still text them and be like, Hey, what's up? Um, I'll send them, you know, gift cards and stuff for national athletic training month. Um, but especially the tough cases, um, with where I'm at rurally, I know I'm not alone, but I don't have another athletic trainer at this high school. It is just me. Um, I have a wonderful boss. I can always run things by him. He is great. Um, I have the PT I work with. I can always run things by her, but sometimes it's nice to get that other athletic training perspective. Um, and it, these, these mentors, I have a couple of them. Um, if you're listening, hi. Um, I, I trust them. They, they were the people who always in college, they always believed in me. They trusted me. Um, even as a student, they knew like I could handle this evaluation. And then I would just report back to them. My, my findings, they'd be like, okay, what do you want to do about it? Um, they had that faith in me and they still do to this day. And I'm so grateful. And so when I, when I message them and say, Hey, can I run something by you every single time without hesitation? Always. What do you need? I always got time for you. Um, and those, those people, there's two in particular, holy cow. I, I don't know that I would have survived into my seventh year without them in my corner, without them being available to run things by. Um, they've been a godsend. I appreciate the heck out of them. I love them both so dearly. Um, and I'm very proud now to call them colleagues and mentors. Um, and there, there have been other athletic trainers who I see as mentors along the way. Um, one of them in particular, I, we were on a zoom chat and it, it was kind of my first time talking with these people in real time and not just through Twitter. Um, and I said, you know, well, thank you for this. I really look up to you guys. And the one stopped me and said, no, you don't look up to us. You look across to us. We are equals. And that was huge. Um, it made a, such a lasting impression on me. Um, so seriously, those mentors, they, if you have a good mentor, they are, they are priceless. Um, hang on to them, use them when you need it, but let, let them know you appreciate them and you're not just using them. Um, sure. again, it comes down to cultivating those good relationships. Um, but those two mentors, I could talk all day about them. I, I love them so much. Um, I, even just the other day, I ran a situation by the one. Um, so that has been the biggest thing, seriously. And then, um, I don't know, AT Twitter, when it's good, it's good. Uh, I use that a lot too, especially, um, there was a thread recently about, um, fatigue related to ACL tears. And I would not probably have found those resources um, had it not been for AT Twitter. Um, so make those connections, use us. I mean, we're all there for the betterment of each other. Um, but that's that's been huge too, especially with finding different studies and stuff. So absolutely. Yeah. As an AT in your role, how do you take care of yourself? Oh boy. <laughs> um, one of the big things is I try not to bring her, bring home 
my work. Um, if it means I stay 20 minutes later at the end of the day to finish up documentation or send a home program or something like that, I'll do it. Um, my family is very important to me. And so when I leave work, I'm leaving work at work. Um, there are times obviously where that's hard um, or something is, is weighing on, on your heart or whatever. Um, but I also try to surround myself with people. I can talk to people who support me. Um, people I can kind of vent to. Um, cause I, I personally, I tend to bottle things up, um, which is not good. <laughs> so I try to find healthy outlets, leave work at work. Um, and I put a lot of emphasis on just spending quality time with the people I love outside of work um, and doing things I enjoy. I'm a huge book reader. I love books. I love reading. Um, so I, I try to build time in for that. My husband and I have our shows that we watch together, um, including Jeopardy. <laughs> we're, we're old people at heart. We love Jeopardy. Um, but the biggest thing is putting that emphasis on work-life balance. Um, that was one of the draws that brought me back home to this job was the promise of a work-life balance. And I have definitely gotten that. Um, and it's been huge. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want to just say blanket self-care, um, but also blanket self-care. Um, do what you need to do, but I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of a hypocrite and I own it. Um, I've talked to some other friends about this lately too, is I've told kids who have been struggling with mental health stuff, like, Hey, you know, my door is always open come talk to me. I'm here for you. Um, I tell them, you know, I'm not a counselor, but I am always an ear to listen and a shoulder to cry on. And if you need the counselor, I will get the counselor. Um, but I, I've told kids like, Hey, if you need a mental health day from your sport, come talk to me. And I will assign you a mental health day. I will hold you from practice and communicate to coaches that you are with me. Um, I won't tell them what for. Maybe we just say you're rehabbing. Um, but if you need a mental health day, come see me and we will make it happen. Um, but yet I struggle to take mental health days myself, even though I know that they're very important. Um, so mental health is just as important as, as physical health. Um, so if you need those mental health days, take them. <laughs> Absolutely. If you could change or eliminate one thing, could be a modality, a common practice, or a mindset in the profession, what would it be? Uh, um, that's a really good question. My first thought goes to K-Tape. Um, <laughs> getting rid of K-tape, but that's fair. It's so I would, I would say K-tape with the cat, with the caveat, get rid of it for quote unquote, turning off and turning on muscles. It doesn't do anything, but keep it for swelling and bruising and proprioception. Basically get rid of it for what the evidence doesn't support. Keep it for what the evidence does. Um, that's where my first thought goes. The other thought is, and this is not quite seen in athletic training. Um, it's more seen in kind of the areas that surround athletic training, like clinical practices, stuff like that. Um, I really wish 
that, I mean, I, I know as a profession, we are always working hard to educate the public on what we do, who we are, what our scopes are. Um, but just the mindset from other professions about concussions. Um, I am so passionate about concussions um, and nothing irks me more than seeing people still grading concussions um, or saying, well, the symptoms are mild, so the concussion's mild. Um, or my personal favorite is, well, their pupils were fine, so they must not be concussed. Um, love that, love that for us. Uh, it's super frustrating. So, I mean, we just gotta keep educating, but if, if I could snap my fingers and change a mindset right now, it would be the entire collective mindset surrounding concussions from basically anyone non-athletic trainer or sports med um, to kind of pull in the, the trained physicians and neuropsychs and whatever. Um, basically anyone who's not actually a concussion expert, um, I want to change their mindset. <laughs> fair. It would make our job so much easier. Um, I've even heard the, well, you didn't lose consciousness, so it's not a concussion. Oh boy. Um, that those statements are what's going to make me go gray. Um, that's, that's what I would change. I think even that's more, more deeply than K tape is I want to change concussion culture. We'll put it that way. Perfect. Uh, last question is what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? Why is this the hardest question to answer? <laughs> Why we asked it. Um, oh my gosh. What does it mean? I, oh man. I feel like my answer is going to apply to a lot of different professions. So bear with me. No, um, wrong with that. It means seeing the value in, in what we do. Um, and being passionate about it, being driven, being determined. Um, if we don't want our kids to give up, we can't give up on ourselves. So we have to, we have to stay strong. Um, we have to take our roles as healthcare providers seriously. Um, and the weight that, that comes with some of those decisions we make, um, it means believing in yourself, being willing to stand up for yourself. Um, we have a spine, we have to use it. Um, it means, oh, this is so hard. Um, we care about what we do. It means being passionate about others. Um, it means believing in what we do, knowing the importance of ourselves, um, knowing the role that each of us individually plays in the profession. Um, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm so passionate about it, but this is the hardest question to answer. Um, I don't know it to me, it's gosh, it's developing these relationships with the kids and knowing that we might be their person um, and being willing to be that person. 
we all need a person. We all need our, our support system. Um, but ultimately, I mean, we're all in this because we love sports. We love athletes and we're passionate about healthcare. Um, it's been said before, so I can't take credit for this, but we might be the, there, some of these kids first foray into the, into the healthcare world, mm-hmm. um, and taking that role seriously. Um, you don't think much about it when you're in that position, but if they have a bad interaction with us, they're not going to want to seek other help for other issues. Um, so we, we play a very crucial role. Um, so being, being strong-willed and determined enough to take on that role and to carry it um, with pride and carry it with responsibility and with determination and still be the loving, caring individuals we are. To me, that's kind of how it all comes together. Like that's what it means in a nutshell. I hope maybe someone can translate that. Somebody with like a sports like background, help me out here. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's kind of where my brain goes, but it's, it's a hard question. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm in it for my kids. I, I call them my kids, which is really fun. Uh, when I'm talking to someone in the general public and they go, wait, I thought you only had one kid, right? One bio, one biological and about 600 non-biological. <laughs> right. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. That's so hard to answer. That's all good. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, just to kind of wrap up, if people wanted to connect with you or follow you, what would be the best place for them to do that? Uh, definitely Twitter. I, I never thought, I used to hate this silly bird app. Um, I never thought I would get the following that I have. I say that like I'm a big deal or something. Um, I'm just a a small town, rural high school athletic trainer who's just very passionate about promoting the profession and protecting our athletes. Um, so if you want to uh, follow me, see my rantings, my musings, um, read my sassy tweets um, at Cater, C-A-I-T-R-A-T-C. Um, that's my handle. Do not do the one with the underscore. I signed on today and there's somebody impersonating my account. So it's, oh, there's no, there's no underscore behind it. That's, that's the naughty person who needs a timeout. Um, so at cater ATC is me. Um, come follow me, come, come join my crazy. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, we will link that up as well. Uh, so people can just click on it and get to it. Uh, appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Look forward to staying connected in the future and good luck getting through the rest of uh, football season here. Thank you. We play tonight. Um, we're seven and zero, hoping to make it eight and zero. It's our last. It's our last regular season game, and yes, it is a Wednesday night. Um, in Minnesota, we have something called MEA, um, where I think it's. Oh, I don't know. When I was a student, it was because they did a lot of standardized testing this week or something. Um, so there's actually no school Thursday and Friday. So that our MEA game is tonight. And then our first playoff game is next Tuesday. So wish us luck. We're hoping to go eight. No, um, we made it to section finals last year. We're hoping to make it to state this year. So should be a fun game. Awesome. We'll be rooting for you and we'll look forward to chatting with you in the future. Cool. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Athletic Training Chat with Caitlin Place on interprofessional collaboration. Our guest was Caitlin Place, who is a professional collaborator within the professions. And your host is me, Joel, who is definitely looking to do some more collaboration, uh, trying to find new ways to help try and make things just a little bit better for anybody that we can. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. I know not a lot of people get up to Wisconsin for any reason other than maybe having to travel for sports. Not exactly the vacation destination, but if you do and you find yourself in the Madison or even the Wisconsin Dells area, yes, that is a tourist spot. Highly recommend connecting with the people at Mueller to go check out where they're at, what they do. It is such a cool facility in a small Wisconsin town that is just such a focus on athletic trainers Uh, so highly recommend potentially doing that you can always reach out to us we can try and help facilitate uh, as they're just great people to work with thank you for listening we appreciate it your support just by listening is helping us fulfill our throw a lifeline program if you'd like to donate more to that please check out clinicallypress.com backslash throw a lifeline to donate any amount of money everything goes to getting this equipment out to ATs that need it Thank you again, and we'll talk to you next episode.